enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men, nor the guards with me, took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sue. It's a long reading and there's so much in that. Um, I'm very excited about this passage. I've just been preaching on it in St. Myra a few minutes ago, so I'm even more excited now to hear what Liz is going to share uh, with us as we uh, unpack God's word this morning. So I'm just going to pray for Liz as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us so much about how we should live our lives and how we can seek to serve you faithfully as your disciples. And I just pray for Liz now as she unpacks this passage for us today. There's so much in there. I just pray that you will give us receptive hearts and ears to hear what it is you are speaking to us about. And I pray for an anointing of your spirit upon Liz as she speaks to us today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Over to you. Hi. furniture removals first. I wonder, I wonder, um, do you know these, do you know annoying people? Um, Have you ever met one of those really annoying people who, these guys have, um, who, who seem to live like a charmed life? You know the ones I mean. They're the ones with the like annoying smile, and they're normally probably happy as well. And and every, and everything they try and do, or everything they do, just seems to work out. And it doesn't matter what life throws at them; they still have the annoying smile on their face. And and it just 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 life seems to go their way. You know the people I'm talking about. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Well, up until this point, it kind of feels like Nehemiah 
is one of those people who uh, lives this kind of charmed life. Now, for those of you who perhaps uh, haven't been with us uh, to read the first few chapters of Nehemiah, essentially, this is what has happened. Um, the, the city of Jerusalem has fallen. It's been in ruins for 90-odd years. Some people have come. They've tried to rebuild it occasionally. It's been unsuccessful. It doesn't work. Um, and then comes Nehemiah. Okay, and Nehemiah walks in. Uh, he's a Jew, but he is the cupbearer to the Persian king. Uh, so he's in the king's inner circle. And he's really sad about the fact that uh, Jerusalem is in ruins. And so on his, when his duties to the king, he goes to the king one day and the king says, what's wrong with your face? It was sad. And he says to him, he says, well, I'm sad about Jerusalem. And he says, I want to go and rebuild it. And I want this, that, other. And he gives him a big list of demands. And the king says, yeah, go on then, you do that. And so off he goes with all his stuff and he turns up and, they, and he talks to people and he meets the uh, surrounding governors and all seems to go his way. Where other people have failed, he just swoops in and everything he touches turns to gold. And maybe this says more about me than anything else. But I kind of like today, because today is the day that everything changes for him. Today is the day when things start to go wrong. Today is the day where life begins to get a bit hard for him. He comes up against opposition. And uh, actually, if we, spoiler alert, if we look at the whole book of Nehemiah, from here on in, it's like they take three steps forward and two steps back. And life is like that sometimes. Do you ever feel like that? Like just constantly you take a few steps forward and then you push back a few more and you keep going. And this is kind of where Nehemiah is at the beginning of. Everything to this point has gone just how it should be. And today he comes up against some opposition. And so I kind of thought we would think this morning a little bit about what do we do? What is our response when life gets hard? What is our response when we feel like for every three steps we take forward, we are pushed back another two? Nehemiah is there. All is going well. And then they suddenly come up against opposition. They come up against other people's anger. The governors of the surrounding uh, territories do not want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Because if Jerusalem is rebuilt, that kind of uh, puts their own power grab under threat. They get cross. They are mocked by these leaders. Now, I love this. Not... I'm not going to try and make that sound better than it did. Um, so people say that, you know, the Bible is out of date and nothing, uh, you know, and it can't speak to our culture today. What I love is that human beings have not changed at all. If this reading teaches us anything, it teaches us that centuries upon centuries ago, sarcasm was alive and well. <laughs> it might be the lowest form of wit, but it's all I've got. I just imagine that they are there and their governor's around. And what is it? It's brilliant. There's a brilliant uh, bit in it. What does it say? Oh, it says these feeble little Jews. 
<laughs> and in my head, all these governors are sitting around and they're like, oh, these feeble little, little Jews and they're having a good giggle and they're like, they think they can rebuild their little city and they have a little bit more. And they mock them. And essentially this goes on and on and the, and the, the Jewish people, they become discouraged and they become disheartened. And kind of that happens in life, doesn't it, sometimes? Sometimes we can start something. We start something with all the enthusiasm and all the kind of uh, motivation that we've got. And then somebody tells you that it was a stupid idea. And then somebody else says, oh, that'll never work. And they might laugh at you or they might do that. And slowly but surely, every kind of little knock that you take makes you a little bit more discouraged, makes you a little less motivated to do what you do until essentially we probably get to a point where we might want to give up. When I used to have a proper job, uh, we used to have PhD students come in and uh, uh, we have what I like to call the 18-month hump. When you start a PhD, you're all very excited. You're going to change the world. And, you know, we're off. And then you get 18 months in. And you're so far from starting, you cannot remember why you started. But you are not close enough to the end yet, so you cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. And you become miserable and discouraged. And you probably feel like giving up. And not giving up is hard. And then... You get over the hump and you have this renewed enthusiasm to go again. And sometimes the Christian life is a little bit like the 18-month hump. Sometimes we become Christians and we have this wonderful zeal. We want to tell people how great Jesus is. We want to volunteer in church and we want to throw ourselves into things 100%. And then slowly again... Something happens and we kind of get a little bit disheartened and a little bit uh, discouraged. And we're suddenly not so enthusiastic about talking about Jesus anymore. We're suddenly not quite so ready to be the first person that volunteers when something needs doing. And yet the challenge for us is how do we get on the other side of that? How do we get back to a place where we are reinvigorated and encouraged to go again so that we don't give up? And I think Nehemiah in this morning's reading gives us a real uh, good sense of how we can do that. You know, the first thing they did, they come up against opposition and the first thing they did is they prayed. They turned to God and they gave everything to him. Now, I don't know about you, um, but praying is not always our first option, is it, when, when life gets hard? I don't know about you, sometimes I will try everything else under the sun, and then somebody will say, shall we pray about that? You think, oh, yeah, that might, that might have been an idea for the beginning. But they take it all to God in prayer. And praying is so important for us because prayer does a couple of things. First off, prayer reminds us that God is sovereign. If we are praying to God, somewhere deep inside us, we acknowledge 
that God is God and he holds all things in his hands and that he um, is capable to work in any situation. When we pray to God, whether we feel like it or not at the time, we are acknowledging that we trust that God is able to do something. When we pray to God, other people's hearts are, are and can be changed, as can our own. One of the things that they do is they pray for their enemies. Granted, it's all a little bit like rain down the fire of hell on them, but they pray for their enemies. Sometimes when we come up against opposition, it's really important for us to pray for those people that we're struggling with. Maybe not that they'll be struck down, but maybe that God will speak to them. Maybe that God will change their hearts. When we pray, we know from the story already, the Persian king that Nehemiah worked for was one of the kings who had commanded that the city of Jerusalem never be rebuilt. Nehemiah prays for four months and he goes to the king and the king's heart is changed. When we come up against opposition, praying for those that that are standing against us is a really important thing. When we pray, God gives us wisdom to know what to do in these situations. Sometimes we can find ourselves in a situation where we just simply don't know what it is to do. When we come to God in prayer, when we bring the situation and the people involved to him, he is able to give us the wisdom that we need so that as we move forward, we know that we are doing it in God's way and not our own. Coming first and foremost to God in prayer is what we need to do when we feel like life is pushing us backwards and we can't get forward. But you know what I love about this? As we read through the passage, um, Nehemiah doesn't use the word I. Somebody's going to find it for me now. (laughs) But mostly, he doesn't use the word I. He says, we prayed. He says, they did this. There is this real sense that he is not in this on his own. He might be the guy stood out at, at, at the front leading them, but they are all in this together. And I love this. And in one sense, it's so appropriate that this should come up on the day of a baptism. You know, in just a moment ago, uh, Isla and Ava were welcomed into the family of, of God, into the family of church. They became part of our they. We are not in this on our own, whatever we're saying. You know, we stood here. You made promises that you would bring those girls up in the faith But actually, as the family of God, we make a promise to you too that we will be here to support you and uphold you in that journey. It also means that when they come to you and they ask you questions that you don't know the answer to, you can send them to any one of this lot. (laughs) We're in this together. Sometimes we carry one another and sometimes we are carried. But whatever we do, we do it together. You know, I, 
I stand here and I wander around and I see some stuff and I probably do a fairly good impression, um, I hope anyway, of knowing what I'm doing and what I am talking about. I am a vicar. After all, I should know these things. I should be able to pray and do all that stuff. But you know what? I don't always pray. Sometimes I find it really hard. Sometimes when life is really hard, I just want to go, well, you know what, God, I'm not talking to you. Because when life is hard, I revert back to my stroppy teenage years. Um, And in one sense, that's okay. Because do you know what? I have this wonderful support network of people who, when I can't pray, commit to praying for me. And commit to carrying me back to a place where life is better and back to a place uh, where I can pray again. We are part of a family. And when opposition comes, we support one another. It's the joy of being part of the family of God. Sometimes we are the people who carry others. And sometimes there are other people who carry us. Because we are not I, we are we. And if we want to be able to uh, withstand any opposition that comes our way, then we have to stand united as the we. They prayed. They stuck together. They did it um, together. And they refused to give up. And I think this comes uh, again with, with acting together rather than alone. Because when we're alone, I don't know about you, when you're doing something on your own, it's very easy uh, to get distracted. (laughs) It's very easy to kind of give something up if it's only you doing it. But when we're doing something together, as they get there, as they essentially put their heads down and carry on with the work, each one of them is holding the other one. They are moving forward. They are focused on their goal because they are together. I have the attention span of a gnat. And most of you know my husband, Kai, and this will probably surprise you. But in any given situation, he is the one that is stood in front of me going, will you focus? (laughs) Because literally... Tiny little bit of tinfoil out the corner of my eye. Ooh, shiny. And I've gone. I, on my own, I'm useless. I need a, a, a team of people, a, a, a people around me who will help me stay focused and who will help me uh, carry on with the job in hand. They pray. They stick together. They carry on. And they do that because they keep their eyes fixed on God at all times. They've also got an eye out for the enemy. You know, uh, we're told in the passage that they know the opposition is coming and so they prepare. They put things in place so that they'll be ready for when it comes. And as Christians, as we walk this Christian life, we've got to be prepared for opposition. We've got to know that it will invariably come our way. And we can do that. We do it by praying. We do it by putting on the armor of God every single day. We do it by taking our discipleship seriously. 
We do it by committing to prayer and by committing uh, to Bible study. And it doesn't mean that we kind of have to live separately from the real world. We don't want to get all weird about it. But it means committing to our discipleship, committing to putting our focus on God at all times. Because if our focus is on God, then we are, we are strengthened and encouraged to be able to withstand anything that's thrown at us. And I've said this a lot, but my, my next favorite bit is the bit where in terms of focusing on God, Nehemiah says, he says this wonderful thing. He says, um, remember. He says to them, he says, remember how great and awesome God is. When opposition comes, when life is, is hard, then we've got to remember how great and how awesome God is. We've got to remember all those things that God has done for us in the past. And it means telling stories. And I love this because I love to tell a story. It means telling one another stories about the times when God has been faithful to us. It it reminds us to tell stories about when uh, God has has done miracles and when God has uh, uh, come through for us in the past. You know, Nehemiah is reminding them of the amazing things that God has done even just to bring them to this point. Because when we remember how great and how awesome God is, when we remember his faithfulness, when we remember all the amazing things that he's done, our faith is increased. And when our faith is increased, we pray more. And when we pray more, uh, we see God move more. And when we see God move more, uh, you know where I'm going with this. It's a cycle. (laughs) It's a positive cycle in which our faith is strengthened and encouraged. And the more we are strengthened and encouraged by God, the more we can hold fast to him and his ways in the face of opposition. The more we remember how great and how awesome God is, the more we remember that ultimately whatever we face Victory is already ours. You see, we live in a world where uh, death and sin are a real thing. We live in a world where we have to uh, fight these things. But there is a world that is coming where we will not. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate battle over death and sin has already been won. And this is not to diminish the pain and the suffering that we feel in this life. I don't want to do that at all. Um, Our lives are filled with uh, great joy, but they also come with unimaginable lows at times. And I don't want to diminish that. But recognizing that Jesus has already won the ultimate victory gives us hope in those situations. It gives us a hope to know that there is better. It gives us a hope to know that the promise of eternity is ours. When we face opposition, we pray, we come together, 
We remember how great and awesome God is. And we stand firm on his victory. And we stand firm on his promise of eternal life. Of his promise that he has overcome all things. And so I pray for us this morning that as we go through life, as we hit sometimes those, those moments where it feels like we're taking three steps forward and two steps back, I pray that when those come, that we would be here for one another as the family of God, that we would come to our Father in prayer, that we would encourage one another to stand firm, that we would work with one another, but ultimately that we would remember that we are God's people and his victory is ours. That even when we don't understand um, what God is doing or we can't see what God is doing, we know that he is sovereign and we know that he can work all things to his good and his glory. I pray that we will never lose sight that the ultimate victory is his and that each of us faces what we face, but we do it standing on the promise of his eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are a great and awesome God. Father, we thank you that you do not sleep or slumber. We thank you that in all the situations that we face, you are sovereign, you are God, and you hold us and all things in your hand. We thank you that you are able to work all things to your glory. But Lord, we also acknowledge that there are times and situations in our life that we just find unbelievably hard. And perhaps just in this next moment, if you are struggling today, if there is uh, something that you are finding particularly hard, just in this moment, just, just give it over to God now. Father God, we just give you these situations and we ask that you would work within them. We ask that you would give us your wisdom to know what to do. We ask that you would give us your peace, that we would know that you are at work. And Father, we pray that as your people, you would strengthen us, you would encourage us that you would help us to fix our eyes unwaveringly on you. That we would live our lives as free people. And people who know deep in our beings that the ultimate victory is yours. <laughs>